Hello and welcome to another episode of Abscond with Ethan Renault. I am kicking myself today because uh, I had a realization that I could be recording everything I do throughout the week. What I mean by that is every Monday I lead a Bible study for a nursing home. Um, and right now it's over Zoom, obviously, because I don't want to go into the nursing home and risk uh, put them at risk. So um, I do the Zoom Bible study with this nursing home from home. I also speak at a youth group on Wednesday and lead a Bible study Tuesday night and occasionally speak at churches on Sundays. And now I'm asking myself, why didn't I think earlier to record these things and post them as podcasts? I'm an idiot. Um, so anyway, hopefully moving forward each week, I'll be able to record these Bible studies and be putting something out for you guys to enjoy. Um, also I spoke at a conference a couple days ago called the heart of dating or the, the company that put it on was the heart of dating podcast. They asked me to speak and talk about how to speak to women. So I'm going to try to get my hands on that audio as well so that we can be uh, um, putting out more content for you guys. <laughs> Me and my producer, Mark, who always does an awesome job posting all this. Um, yeah, so hopefully there will be more content coming out soon. Now that I finally have a brain inside my head that's like, Ethan, you do three podcasts a week. You're just not recording them. So um, today is the, pod is the uh, Bible study with the nursing home. So it might not sound as good. The quality might not be as good as usual because I recorded it on my phone rather than with this microphone. So uh, hopefully that's okay for you. The last thing I want to mention to you is I have two books that just came out. One is Bad Timing, a collection of bittersweet love stories and what I learned from them. It's basically my book on dating. A lot of it is like memoirs, funny stories, heartbreaking stories. So even if you're married, I've had plenty of married people read this book and just say it's so enjoyable. The most recent review that the, the woman wrote, um, what did she write? This book is unbelievably enjoyable. And I was like, man, that's the greatest compliment anyone said about the book so far. Um, it's gotten a lot of great feedback from people. I am just overwhelmed by how much people are enjoying and loving and praising the book. So check it out. Bad timing. The other one, completely different category. It's a collection of short fictional spooky stories. So if that's more up your alley, check that out. Um, that one's called If You Could Haunt Your House Forever. Subtitle, A Collection of Odd Stories. They're not necessarily all horror or spooky. Um... Some of them have that feel, but they're all definitely weird. <laughs> they're different. They have twists and turns. And um, a different reader of mine said that that's her favorite book because of how she got sucked into the fictional stories um, in that book. Um, they're both on Amazon. Check them out. And I will stop talking now and hand it over to myself leading a Bible study with a nursing home. So hopefully you enjoy this uh, message on Mark 14 and Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Cool. So we've been going through the Gospel of Mark uh, for like a year now. <laughs> and we finally are in the middle of chapter 14. Um, who wants to 
Anybody remember what we talked about last week? Carol, you weren't here last week. It was the Last Supper. Mm-hmm. We talked about the significance of that. We took communion together. Um, yeah, so this is right after the Last Supper. They go outside, and then we have this famous scene in the Garden um, of Gethsemane uh, where Jesus is praying. So we're going to read that. Why don't I go ahead and pray for us before we dive in. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. I just ask that your spirit would speak to us through it today and um, that we would all just be drawn closer to you and enriched in our knowledge of you. And uh, yeah, that the Holy Spirit would guide us along today. Um, Yeah, it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. All right, so today we're looking at Mark 14, 32 through 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. What are our initial thoughts of this passage? Meaning what, Bob? Yeah. That's exactly what I wrote in my notes today that we're going to look at, Bob. Exactly. Uh, we see Jesus' human side in this, in the garden. Yeah. What else? It's rather strange that Jesus had to come for three times, and three times the disciples were not fully awake, knowing that he had predicted something quite significant was going to happen here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We do have to remember that the disciples, that they just had the Passover feast, which was a massive dinner. Um, it wasn't just like bread and wine, and then they just left. 
it, like all day they were preparing for this feast and then they had the feast and now it's late at night. So yeah. Um, they, they were probably curious about that, Bob, but they were also probably pretty tired too. Right. Um, Mhm. Yeah, similar idea, yeah. Yeah, I'll be honest. Um the story puzzled me when I first read it uh because I grew up hearing it, but when I went to put this lesson together, I paused and said, "Wait. Why did the disciples need to be awake for this? Uh what were they watching for, and what does this tell us about our own lives?" Um I don't know if I have sufficient answers for mainly for why Jesus wanted them to be awake so badly. Um, but we'll do our best to learn from the passage. I read a lot um, on this passage, and surprisingly there aren't a whole ton of articles that answer that question, why did the disciples need to be awake? Like, what was Jesus watching for? Um, I was confused until the last article I read, which pointed out something which Mark does not include but the Gospel of John does. So John adds that after Jesus broke the bread and drank the wine, Judas slipped out of the room. So basically after last week's uh, Last Supper, like the First Communion, where was Judas going? He was going to get the guards so they could arrest Jesus. Now obviously the other disciples didn't know this because they didn't know who would betray Jesus, but Jesus did, and he predicted it, so he sees Judas leave, and he's like, okay, I know it's going to go down soon, right? So why was Jesus telling his disciples to stay awake and pray so urgently? Because he knew that he would soon be arrested. I can't help but wonder if this is just some of Jesus' na uh, human nature coming out here. Like Bob mentioned, the very human desire to not be alone when bad things happen. Remember that Jesus is not just God, but he's also human. It's not a sin to want the comfort of other humans around you during suffering. So, if Jesus knows he's about to be arrested and who knows what's going to happen to him, right? He knows he's going to suffer and uh, be tortured and then killed. You would want your best friends around you too, right? Um, and you wouldn't them just sleeping on you. You'd, you'd want them awake with you. Instead, what does Jesus receive when he is on the cross? Abandonment by all of his disciples, including being betrayed by Peter three times. He did not only endure physical agony, but emotional, relational pain. He was completely abandoned by all of his friends. So not only was, did Jesus experience incredible uh, physical torture and pain, but he experienced basically um, every terrible thing that you can experience. He was abandoned by his best friends who he'd been with for three years, um, denied by them. He was publicly shamed and humiliated and then killed and tortured, whipped, all of it. We'll get more into that in the coming weeks. But in the garden, Jesus tells his disciples to pray. And then he walks a little bit further and he does the same. He's praying and he offers one of the most soul-shredding prayers in the entire Bible. 
Not only does Jesus attempt to mentally prepare himself for the pain and torture he is about to endure, but he asks God the Father to take it away from him. And again, this is what Bob mentioned. It's perhaps the most human episode in the entire Gospels. Jesus, who's God, asking that he wouldn't have to suffer. Any of us would probably ask the exact same thing. None of us want to suffer and be tortured. We would all be praying, God, please take this away. I don't want to go through with this. Don't let me be tortured and killed, right? Um, I'm sure I'll bring this up in a future week, but um, there's a word that was invented for how painful crucifixion was. Um, If you've ever used the word excruciating, you're in excruciating pain. That's literally a word that the Roman people invented to describe the pain of crucifixion. Because you have ex, which means out of, cruz, meaning cross. It's the pain that can only come out of the cross. Excruciating. Um, So back to the garden. What does this tell us? It tells us that in order to be good Christians, we don't need to needlessly suffer. I don't know what sort of church backgrounds you all have, but I have met so many Christians who think God just wants them to suffer uh, and to be in pain. It's supposed to be, be in pain. We all have Puritan mentality. One of my professors said, what's Puritanism? It's the fear that somewhere, somehow, someone might be happy. Some of us fall into this mentality. This is not what the Bible teaches. It does not portray a life of pain and suffering just for the sake of it. Even God himself begged that he wouldn't have to endure the burden of being crucified. You know how there are like a lot of those monks who just like whip themselves or um, just a lot of Christians think you need to suffer in order to be a good Christian. But even God himself didn't want to suffer. We see a human picture of God here. Are you bearing shame from the church or from God because you think he wants you to suffer? You might not admit, you might not admit this out loud, but do you think that in the back of your mind God might be happy with you? Or sorry, God might not be happy with you if you're happy, that he'd only be happy with you if you're miserable? I don't know where this mentality came from, but I know it's not from God. If anything, it's from the enemy who is referred to as the accuser. He wants us to feel shame. God does not, because even Jesus begged not to suffer. Take this cup from me. But at the, at the end of the day, Jesus was still obedient to the Father's will. He said, if this is your will, then I will do it, right? But he didn't want to go through with it. Now, when Jesus returns to his disciples, they're asleep. Why is Jesus upset with them? I can't help but wonder if the words Jesus speaks here are less for the disciples and more for us, the church universal. Uh, After all, sleeping after a full day of feasting and partying is not a sin. God's not going to be like, oh my gosh, Carol, why are you sleeping after partying all day? I told you not to sleep. Right? Sleeping's not a sin. 
So why did Jesus get upset with them? I think it's a message for us. Don't sleep on Jesus. Don't assume that he will wait around forever for you because you might wake up and he's gone. Imagine if the disciples had been sleeping when the Romans came to arrest Jesus. They would have woken up and he would just be gone. And they're like, where did our teacher go? Is that the message for you? Don't sleep lest you fall into temptation. It's tempting to see the things of the world as alluring. Wealth, comfort, food, relationships. Just like sleep, these things are not inherently evil. Yet if they trump our affection and attention toward Christ, they are. Sleep is not a bad thing. But when Jesus tells you to stay awake and then you sleep, it is. In our case, Jesus has told us to keep watch for his next return. When he comes back for us, will he find us sleeping or alert and keeping watch? Will he find us praying and alert or like the disciples carried away by whatever feels best in that moment? Again, for us, it's probably not going to be physical sleep. That's fine. But what feels the most comfortable that we're consistently drawn to? In that moment, the disciples were drawn heavily towards sleep. They were like, this feels more comfortable than doing what Jesus told us to do. So we're just going to pass out. But for us, it can be a plethora of things. Maybe being monetarily stable feels way more comfortable than giving to the poor or whatever Jesus has instructed you to do. Maybe it's having some relationship that you know you shouldn't be having with someone else, and that feels better than doing what Jesus told us to and staying pure and um, having integrity in our relationships. Whatever it is that feels better in that moment, even if it's not exactly what God asks of us, is Jesus going to come back and find us doing that? Or is he going to say, stay alert, stay awake, keep praying and keep watching? So thinking about our own lives, what things seem more comfortable than being with, waiting for, and watching for Christ? What do we consistently turn to because it feels better than what we should be doing? And remember, sleep, food, relationships at all are not bad things unless they pull us away from Christ. Are you keeping alert and watching for him? What do you guys think uh, about these questions? Anybody want to share any thoughts that come to your minds? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're very susceptible in those moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you always have to weigh your priorities. 
Yeah, thanks, Javon. Anyone else have any thoughts about this message or this passage? Yeah, it's one of those interesting passages where they probably didn't expect Jesus to rebuke them so harsh, right? It's like, hey, we're just tired. <laughs> like, that's not a bad thing. Mm. That's a good word, Javon. Yeah. Yeah. Just like how Jesus said, you saw me in the street. You saw me hungry and didn't feed me. You saw me naked and did not clothe me. Yeah. You could apply that here too. Absolutely. In the Greek? Mm. I could look it up if you're interested, but I would guess it's probably just sleep, similar to the way we use it today. Uh, give me one second. Yeah, uh, yeah, good memory, Bob. Jesus said that he only fell asleep. He's not dead, he's only sleeping. He says the same thing about several people, like the dead girl who dies. She's not dead. She's only sleeping. Um, all right. So the Greek for sleep, he came and he found them sleeping. The Greek is katheudo. You guys say katheudo. That's how I talk to my middle school Students say, Kathayudo, everybody. Uh, it means to sleep. Oops. Hit the wrong button. To sleep, to be fast asleep. To sleep in the spiritual sense, sloth. To sleep, the sleep of death, to die. Those are all the definitions of the Greek word, Kathayudo, sleep. Simon, are you asleep? Let's see. Yeah, same word, Kathayudo. Yeah. Do not sleep. Do not die on God. Seems to be the message there. Any other final thoughts or uh, any, th any observations from this passage? All right. Why don't we move on to prayer requests then? And we can pray again. Um, prayer requests. Absolutely. All right, well, why don't I, I'll go ahead and pray for these and wrap us up for today. Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence here. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that you don't fall asleep on us. Even though we often fall into temptation, we often fall asleep on you and lose sight of you. 
And I want to pray for Bob's friends, for all of them, for their health, um, for their uh, recovery. Jesus, we know that you are the perfect doctor who made our bodies, and you can heal them. We just ask that for Barb, Maddie, Wilson, and John Carl, that they would recover fully. Jesus, that you just put your hand on them and heal them. We also want to pray for the election for our country, Lord, that it would be peaceful um, before, during, and after the election, that there would be peace in our country and acceptance no matter which way it turns. God, we, uh, yeah, we pray for the new president, whoever it is, whether it's Trump or Biden, that there would just be acceptance of it and encouragement and support for him and that, uh, yeah, you keep our country safe and strong. And Jesus, we, um, we are incredibly happy that everyone continues to be healthy at Morningstar, that there are no cases of COVID-19 or uh, the virus there. We are grateful for that. And we just ask that that would continue, keep them on the road to recovery, returning to normal, and everything like that, Jesus. Just protect them. Keep your hand on that place. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen.